Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. Onyx is the premier hunting GPS app that turns your phone and your computer into a GPS. And the Onyx Hunt app is undergoing some changes right now that I'm pretty excited to announce. And you can go and test out this new feature through the web map currently, the beta version. And that is 3D mapping. It You can take your normal maps, your waypoints, and add a three-dimensional look to it, similar to like what Google Earth would have had, but everything is in one spot now and makes it very nice to be able to use. I've been playing around with it as just actually today was the first time I got to play around with it. And you can really get to see those micro terrain features and other things that may be a little bit more difficult to identify on the regular topo overlays. So really pumped to see that and the app just keeps getting better. So if you head over to onxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW, you can save yourself 20% off the app and be ready to test out this new 3D feature. Elk 101. So Corey Jacobson and Elk 101 have put together the most comprehensive elk hunting learning course available called the University of Elk Hunting. And it doesn't matter if you're hunting archery, you're hunting rifle, muzzleloader, whatever it is, there's information there for you through 17 different modules from beginning to end. And it's never too early to start planning next year's elk hunt. The information there is just everything put in one place. You don't need to go searching the internet, reading forums. Everything's in one location. So do yourself a favor and invest in yourself. Head over to elk101.com and use the coupon code East Meets West. That'll save yourself 20% off of the online course. Tethered. So Tethered has you know been releasing ultralight saddle hunting gear mobile hunting gear now for a little while and they're you know arguably one of the biggest names in the game right now and they just keep innovating and coming out with new products they've got seems like new products coming out weekly on their website and fit different budgets different hunting styles everything else and what they do great is they educate you on saddle hunting. There's a lot of information there. If you're thinking about getting into it, head over to tetherednation.com. Check that out and take a look at all their lightweight hunting products that they have available. All right. So before we get into this episode here, I just want to cover a few things. Um, the Pennsylvania statewide deer opener is this Saturday. And as you can imagine, I am excited to get going with that. You know, I'm not, I, I don't have a lot of time to hunt early season, but this year by not elk hunting, I've had a lot of time to spend in the woods in September and really key in on some food sources. I've actually got some good bucks. Some even making daylight appearances, um, hitting some of these mass crops and, and some different areas there. So what I was doing over the last you know week or so is getting in the woods finding those mass crops whether black cherries some areas have acorns 
beach nuts, and then working backwards. So I have my cameras, a lot of them kind of on the edge of those food sources, and I've been now back and you know trying to find where they're bedding at, finding the thick cover, finding the side hills, points that they might be, and seeing what I can do to get pretty close to that you know that bedding area. So right now, just really scouring Onyx and getting some boots on the ground, checking out different areas. You know, when I'm when I'm in the woods, I haven't been going. I'm not going back to the same areas time after time. I've been, you know, if you follow along with me on Instagram, you'll see my Instagram stories. I'm, it seems like I'm in the woods all the time, but I'm I'm in different areas every time, and I'm trying to find you know where's my best odds and trying to learn these different places and. Everything's changing constantly, as you'll hear Zach and I talk about a lot in this podcast. So I'm trying to stay on top of it and put together a pretty good game plan for Saturday. So that's exciting. And anybody that's from Pennsylvania or maybe you're in Ohio or anywhere else, you know, good luck on the opening day or if your season's open already, you know, good luck to you as well as it's just going to, it's our favorite time of year for as whitetail hunters. In other news the caribou hunt film is nearing completion i just saw a rough draft today from justin he sent it over to me and again obviously i'm a little bit biased to this but it i think it's gonna turn out amazing and you know again not not because of me or anything that has to do with myself it more or less justin is just a wizard with the camera and his editing and everything else i think it's he's doing some things in here that i haven't seen in a, in a hunting film before so i'm excited to to get to release that and as of now the release date is going to be october 11th which is a sunday so i'm going to try to release it sunday night and hopefully, you know, you'll be settled in after the day and can sit down and enjoy the enjoy the film. So that I'm really looking forward to getting that information out there. And so, you know, along as I'm talking about filming here, then towards the end of October, I have Jared Schaefer from Tethered coming here to Pennsylvania to film for four days, I believe, uh, from October 28th to the 31st. And then Justin's coming back here again to film from November 7th to 15th, which I'm working on a mountain buck film for that. So the one thing you might be thinking is, okay, you have all these film Pennsylvania hunts planned and you're planning on hunting in Pennsylvania. What happens if you kill early? Well, I don't, <laughs> well, looking at my past, I normally wait till the end and that's not always by on purpose, but, uh, so if, if I did happen to kill buck early, then I plan on jumping to New York, which I've never hunted before, um, or Southern Ohio, which I've hunted before, but I'm going to hunt a brand new area and give that a shot. So a lot of exciting things coming up. It's just, I, I like I said, I'm just so excited to get this season going and, and that, which leads me into this podcast with Zach Farrenbaugh from the hunting public. So if, if you haven't, you know, if you're not familiar with the hunting public, then you might have been living under a rock. But I would highly recommend checking out their YouTube channels. I think they're putting out some of the best content that of anybody on the internet right now. And Zach just killed an awesome buck in North Dakota recently. An incredibly uh, 
exhilarating hunt, uh, spot and stock and shot a buck in its bed. And that's actually a spot that I'm looking at potentially hunting next year, not the same location, but in uh, the Badlands, North Dakota. So it, it got me, you know, really fired up to, to see that. And Zach just brings uh, a level of refreshing, you know, vibes and attitude to to hunting. I mean, his his style is unique, and his like I said, his attitude is just so good and refreshing. He you know is not he's very lighthearted on things. He it's just for me talking to him here just helped me not get too serious as I'm coming into this season, you know, do my homework and hunt hard and everything, but not get too worked up on myself and really enjoy the the process. And, and I think that's really important for any of us to take away. So I hope you enjoy this podcast here with Zach Farrenbaugh and we'll see you next week. All right, we're live. I am talking across the computer through the phone through uh traffic as zach farrenbaugh is driving <laughs> from colorado all the way across the country so zach how's it going oh it's going going well finally out of the traffic and we're on on the open road 70s looking pretty clear ahead so yeah feeling better than jammed up in rush hour that was not a good that was not a good time but we're open now yeah I'll tell you what that um that drive to Colorado. I've done it a bunch of times. I like seventy a lot better than I do Interstate eighty. Yeah, I to be honest, man, I've never done seventy. I always go eighty. We're doing something different today, so oh, I'm gonna try it. I'm excited to see this because yeah, eighty gets boring because you're just always along the river and it's the same old view every day, but. I've never done 70. I came across a different way in between 80 and 71, but yeah, excited to actually try the whole thing through. Yeah. It's, it's, in my opinion, it's nicer because you don't, uh, I, I hate going around Chicago just in general, Yeah, I, no matter what time of night, day, it's just traffic and, and it just, there's more toll road. 70 is just a nice clear drive. And, and for me, it's the same distance, uh, to where I live in Pennsylvania, to Denver, it's literally like within minutes if I take seventy or eighty. So I usually prefer to yeah. jump on seventy if I can. Yeah, I live. I guess my parents live like right. I don't know, just north of seventy, like an hour. So I guess it does probably make the most sense. I'm usually going from Colorado to Iowa, but so I usually take eighty is the fastest, but seventy is proven to have the faster google maps route so that's what we're doing yeah there you go <laughs> so, so, yeah always trust always trust google maps <laughs> isn't it isn't it funny though i don't know if you do this but like i could be driving the whole way across the country and i just type it in my map so i don't really look ahead like <laughs> you know like i feel like oh, before yeah. you had to like plan your routes and do all no i just let my phone take me you know from one place yeah. to another <laughs> yeah for sure it's like I usually have a, I usually have a uh, rough estimate of what it's going to be, and then like even today, I had this idea in my head that I was like, oh, we'll be going 80, and you know that's the route we're going to take, and it's going to take 20 hours to get there. And then I looked, and it's like it wasn't 
even close to any of that. I just made it all up. Well, I found one time where that kind of screwed me relying on my phone. I was in Alberta. I was hunting uh, whitetails and I flew when I was up there. I didn't realize I didn't have international plan on my phone. So I, I ran data overages in about 15 minutes to the point where they shut down my phone. And, uh, so I got back to the U S and I didn't have, I couldn't use cell signal. I didn't have anything. So I couldn't pull up my maps and I was just at the Pittsburgh airport, which I've been to a thousand times, but I, I don't pay attention to stuff because I just (laughs) go and when it tells me to turn, I turn and it's kind of embarrassing to admit, but. It, uh, I realized then I relied on it a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could see, I could see that too. It's funny. I guess people listening don't know this, but we were talking a little bit before, like just the difference between having on X and not having on X, like the days pre on X. And, um, like I used to do something similar, but I was telling you about when I would print the maps off of like my, my Google earth and then like navigate with that i yeah. used to do the same thing when i was just traveling on the roads i would print out like it, map quest was popular at one <laughs> yeah, point yeah map quest you could, like print out the whole, <laughs> the whole the whole list of directions and i remember like being in high school and college and like making you know what i what I, at the time i thought were road trips you know probably like going a few hours or whatever but like having the whole printed list in my passenger seat and yeah, a lot different now, and you can just plug it in, and I can. I'm literally looking at the whole route right in front of me it's on my phone, right by the steering wheel. Not much thought. Yeah, I, it's it's so funny. Like, yeah, I did. Uh, I map quest was the thing. You know, I remember my dad being like telling me like when I'd be started driving and stuff, he'd be like, "Oh, we gotta we gotta print out a map quest for you." You know, turn by turn directions, and and uh, I, you know, so I'd be getting on the at the time it was dial up internet because we lived out in the middle of nowhere and it took until like 2012 to get, uh, you know, <laughs> fast speed internet. So get that down, downloaded and print it off and stuff. And it's just, it's funny, you know, that really wasn't that long ago, but I feel like I wouldn't know how to go back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would be, it would be a little of a shock. That's for sure. Happy that it's happy that we're living in a time where it's as easy as, as it is. But like I, like I said too, it's like there's a whole new level of respect of people that were out hunting or traveling or road tripping even or or even just hiking and stuff without having the ability to just like have a GPS or a cell phone with exact, your exact location on it. It's just you know people that were getting all over the place doing it before it was as easy as, as it is. A lot more. Uh, I don't know. I get a lot more respect than I than I thought i did yeah you know yeah when (laughs) you know like now say i have a tree mark that like i say i marked in the spring and i'm planning on going to hunt it and i'm going in in the fall and it's you know it's dark before i go in in the morning and i'm hiking in i catch myself looking down at onyx like every like 30 or 40 yards like it's like am i on track like am i going the right way oh yeah yeah. in the the dark it's the worst yeah the, yeah, that's when it gets real weird. I remember one time I was the, it was the first like major um, like public land turkey hunt out of state that we'd ever uh, that I'd ever done. You know, we were like making this big trip to Mississippi to hunt turkeys, and this is pre uh, 
THP days, so we were working at Midwest Whitetail. Um, I went with Aaron from the hunting public and then our friend Zach Terzieski. And uh, Zach and I were, Aaron was like staying back and editing one night and or evening, you know, and he had hunted that morning and he stayed in town to edit. And we, Zach and I went hunting and we're coming out of the woods and well, long story short, some birds had flown up behind us and it sounded, they were quiet, they, they were quiet, there's no gobbling, but it sounded like one of the birds, the last bird to fly up was the tom. And we're like, man, we're convinced that there's a tom in here, like we're going to try to sneak in here the next morning and uh, get as close as possible. But you know, they flew up close enough that it's like, we're going to have to wait till pitch black to get out of here. And uh, <laughs> we start walking out and we're walking through the thick pine planting. And I remember looking at my map being like, dude, we are not going the right direction at all. Like, thought we were going one way and we're going the complete opposite. <laughs> I remember closing my phone, walking what felt like two steps, you know, it's more than that, but it didn't feel like much. I pull up, open my phone again, and we're pointed back the wrong way again. And I'm just like, dude, this is, this is not going well. <laughs> like that's, that's when it gets weird is when it's dark out and you're in a new place and you're not, that you're not familiar with. And yeah, that's when, that's when it's like, man, I don't even know what I would be doing if I was, I mean, just spend a lot more time looking at a compass, I guess. Um, yeah. So yeah, when, when, uh, like when you get in dark timber or anything like that, or just thick woods in general, it's so easy to get turned around and, you know, and there's some, you know, some areas of Pennsylvania are, you know, have some terrain and kind of mountainous areas that make it easier to kind of follow the ridge lines. But then there's others that are like mm-hmm. just really flat big woods. And, you know, even with using Onyx and stuff, if I'm not looking at it frequently. It's pretty easy to get oh, turned yeah. around. Yeah, for, for sure. It's, it's funny. Like when you have, when you have a ridge, it makes it a lot easier, but if you don't have a ridge, then it, it gets, real strange the place that i'm a little bit intimidated by is um i want to hunt um, more is uh northern minnesota my brother lives up in far northern part of uh, minnesota and there's tons of public land up there i mean really endless and um i really want to get into hunting up there but it's definitely more intimidating because you add water into it and then you add like very very unique um terrain as far as like there's not a straight ridge there's just these like little blips on the map that pop up and there's like little high points or little just i kind of would describe them as just like circular hills you know mm-hmm. but that seems super intimidating because if i'm following a ridge it's fine i feel generally okay you know as far as direction but then you start tossing flat ground or something like that where it's like ununiform hills and that's when it gets yeah even more extreme <laughs> yeah it's it's that's so true um so zach before we kind of you know dive into this anymore here um first of all this is you know this is a really the first time besides last night talking quick that you and i had really talked before we uh yeah we met quickly at uh the ata show in the in the bathroom at a bar there 
we're we're both yeah. taking a piss and you're like i'd shake your hand right now but this is kind of awkward <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious yes i do i do remember that yeah and i and i'd been been wanting to reach out to you because uh, we have a mutual friend well probably quite a few but want sam soholt and um mm-hmm. and he's like you got he's like you got to talk to those guys he actually told me that last year at the total archery challenge and uh it was just kind of talking you guys up as as some pretty pretty good guys and everything so it's been kind of a a long time coming to to have you on here and just uh have some conversations yeah yeah well i'm excited to excited to talk i mean i always like talking about hunting (laughs) i can tell from from your content that you also like hunting so you know we got (laughs) we definitely got that in common (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think we we could be friends. <laughs> so, yeah, first of all, um I'd like you to kind of give a, a little bit of a background on yourself and f- for anyone that's, you know, been living under the rock and doesn't know what the hunting public is, kind of give, you know, a background on on yourself there and, you know, just kind of how you got to where you're at now. Uh, well, I grew up in Western Ohio, um, where I'm headed right now, and uh, I, I, I guess I grew up there, but I did a lot of my hunting in um, Central Ohio, more Central Ohio, I guess, and like a little bit of mixed, um, bigger timber ag stuff, I guess. Um, I just grew up hunting, like loved hunting, spent tons of time doing it. Every weekend I was going um over east you know we'd go and moving from the western driving from the western side of the state and going and hunting like my grandpa's uh property that he has over there and then um there's there was some public land pieces that we hunted there too and you know started just with small game hunting hunting squirrels with my grandpa and then eventually well not real long after I started going squirrel hunting, I just started going deer hunting with them and turkey hunting. I started, man, I was, <laughs> I was attempting to hunt, you know, holding a gun when I was young or with my grandpa, sitting with my grandpa with a gun when I was young, turkey hunting, deer hunting. I got like very, very, I got some memories that I can, I can't really remember the fine details of it that long ago. I was probably six, seven years old when I first started going hunting and um you know i really latched on to it it became one of my favorite things and when i was in high school i started getting this idea that i was gonna i was gonna film hunts i was somehow gonna find a way to make that my job i always got irritated when everybody made it seem like you had to go to work and you had to have this job that was so miserable i was like i'm bound to determine that i'm gonna do this i'm gonna find a way to film hunts or you know do this I'm going to hunt for a living is essentially what I thought. And me and my buddies like very poorly started creating these videos. You know, we started with like small game stuff and we did a lot of rabbit hunting, but then we were going deer hunting and turkey hunting and filming each other doing that. And, um, I kind of just kept continuing on and I went to college at Ohio university. I thought same thing. Like I want to do this, but you know, unfortunately there's like no major that says, you know, graduate college and film for a hunting show, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, <laughs> I just kind of took classes. I actually did this thing where it was 
called uh, my, my degree reads Bachelor of Specialized Studies, and I just essentially created my own major. And I took uh, outdoor recreation, geography, and media classes, and those are like my main focus areas. So I kind of tried to cater as best I could to um, what I wanted to do, even though that, you know, obviously, like I said, uh, taking a classes to become a cameraman or, or a hunter, I guess, <laughs> yeah. not available. So when I was just about ready to graduate, I had applied for it before, but I applied again for the Midwest Whitetail internship, and I I got it. And so did one of my best friends, best college friends, Michael Frente, and uh, we went there in 2015, worked there, and that's where I met Aaron and Greg, who are also uh, you know, like the founders of the Hunting Public, and um, like just just loved hanging out with those guys, loved working with those guys and I was like man I gotta come back here and work full time so I just like basically pried it at Bill Winky just sent him like emails over and over and over again with all these like different basically was just like giving him ideas for potential jobs you know that and I was like saying different ideas that I could (laughs) that I could do and I was just throwing anything any idea at him that I could because I thought what the heck like I want to get back and I want to, you know, hunt with these guys and, and do this more, um, you know, because we were starting in 2015 when we were there as interns, we were doing like public land series. That's kind of the beginning of that. Uh, Aaron had been hunting public land, but we were starting to kind of make a name for, for it on the website and stuff. And I was like, man, this is something that, you know, could be really cool in the future. So, Ended up working at Midwest Whitetail. Ended up getting, finally convincing Bill that I should work there. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we, worked, we worked there until 2017. And that's when we started the hunting public. Um, you know, we really just wanted to, we really wanted to, like, have a series that was, like, catered to the, average joe hunter the guy that's on public land or small properties or whatever um just do something different than what we felt like the media was portraying hunting as um you know still there's a lot of you know big property manage manage properties that you see on you know different platforms and stuff that are uh you know there's there, there's still a lot of good quality stuff in those videos but we just didn't feel like it necessarily hit home for everybody and you know our goal with the hunting public now is get more people involved in hunting get more people out there show them that you know it is fun and you know it's not all about big bucks and you know we we get a lot of requests of hey you should come to this state and our answer always is is like at some point we hope to be at all of them i mean i can't stress that enough like i one of my biggest interests in life is to experience as much in the woods as I can. And, you know, every state and every region of every state has something different to offer. And I, I truly love that. So 
little long-winded maybe, but no, that's, that's how we got to doing what we were doing. No, that's good. It's it's funny because I first started watching you guys when you were doing that series with the Midwest Whitetail, and you know I, I don't consume a ton of content, but like I I felt like that series was just something that I really enjoyed, and and I you know I'd watch it, and then when you started the hunting public, you know I was following along kind of at the beginning there, and it was like man, these guys are doing it like just different than anyone else and it was obvious that like so many people related to it with uh you know incredible growth that that you guys have had and it's because you you are you're relating to so many so many people that you know television and and magazines and everything else just it just wasn't relatable to most people I feel like and and like you know like when I I always talk about like when I used to read magazines back in the day that were just like had the biggest buck possible on the cover and I'd read all these stories. And I'm like, man, I was like, I tell my dad, I'm like, but we don't have any of these food plots or ag fields or anything here. Like I don't. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I went to college and I'm like, it was in Western PA and, uh, it was like, Oh, there's ag. Like I'm going to kill these big bucks. And I'm going to hunt, you know, the, these field edges and all this stuff. And I was like, it was not working out the way I thought it would. And, uh, it was kind of a learning, you know, experience. And, and for myself, it took me kind of moving away to really appreciate what I had at home and just, it's just different. And that's, um, you know, what you guys are doing too, is just showing like, that's just what most people are dealing with is is hunting public land and it's not this horror story that you know that i feel like some people portray it to be yeah i mean yeah exactly i it's so fun man like that that's the part about it to me it's, there's adventure there's the fact that anybody can go on it means that you can bring buddies you know you can you can meet people out there you can constantly learning you can always be exploring and, and trying new stuff and it's it's so fun i think that's the part about it to me that um you're a thing about it to me too that like you said the horror stories kind of take over and that's unfortunate because it's not all horror stories i mean don't don't get me wrong there's some days where yeah you feel like man this is this is rough like we can't get away from it. there's <laughs> no chance we're getting away from people but most of the time it's not that way and unfortunately i think when people start getting into public land you know when they when maybe they haven't had any experiences on public land and they don't know what to expect yeah it can jump out at you it's like this like scary intimidating thing but it's not it's not especially the more i mean just like anything and i say this probably multiple times in in this conversation is like experience always well you know that's that's the best teacher like <laughs> you can you can hear it from somebody else but until you start to see it yourself and try to like work around other hunters and, and get you know kind of hone that skill you know it's it can be a little intimidating but it's not all bad at all usually 99 percent of the time it's a lot of fun yeah. And this is, this is coming from, you know, an outside perspective of viewing, you know, your guys' stuff and everything that's, that you're doing. Like for me, I think your series and just your YouTube channel in general has helped me even like not take myself so seriously. Cause sometimes I felt like I'd put so much pressure on myself when it came to hunting that I wasn't making it as fun as it should be. 
and yeah. watching you guys just like just have a ball with it and you know not take yourselves so seriously on it at least that's the way it's, it's that it's that I'm taking it and it just I feel like it brings you know a breath of fresh air into it and it's not you know like you said a little bit earlier it's not all about just killing the biggest deer or anything it's about having you know fun with your buddies and and just having that experience that makes hunting what it is yeah I and man I I think everybody that's a part of the hunting public can can or would say something similar, but just because we've had this conversation a lot, it's like there's a there's a point in all of our hunting careers where we were taking it too seriously. We were thinking like, man, we gotta get it. We've gotta get the the big buck. You know, we gotta do everything we can to get the big buck. And by reading into the wrong media, like we eventually started just making it a lot less fun. We were trying to do things like following this, these rule books and like, you know, or like supposed to do these certain things. And it it became on, it didn't, it wasn't any fun anymore. It really just got pretty miserable. So, um, doing it, you know, kind of getting back into that, just doing it for fun and remembering that it's not, that's not what it's all about, you know, was a big step for all of us too, too, I think so. You know, if you ever find yourself in a rut and you're like, man, I'm, I'm not having fun with this anymore. Just just check in with yourself and say, hey, what am I doing this for? You know, I think that's important. You know, and, and, and that's that's a, such a good point. Like there was a couple years ago I was struggling in archery season and, and I had, you know, I, I always felt like I found a way to to kill a deer in archery season didn't have to get the rifle out and i had this like stigma with rifle hunting and gun hunting that i just didn't want to do it and it was all in my head like i was creating this because i was seeing people being like oh you know got a bow hunt got a bow hunt it's like that's the the cool thing to do and i don't feel like i always fall into those traps but i i was like i i was making myself miserable putting so much pressure on myself that once gun season hit i uh I remember the one morning, like, I'm just going to sleep in, I'm going to get up, I'm going to make a big breakfast, bacon and eggs, and I'm going to take my gun for a walk. And I'm going to go check out these spots where I think that the pressure is going to kick him into. And I went out and just crept along these ridges and I ended up shooting a buck. And it was like the best because I just let myself relax and enjoy hunting. And it was, it was a real eye opener to me, like for my own self, like, you know, and I, I'm sure I'm going to have to check myself again, you know, as you go forward oh, yeah. and it's no just, doubt. it's a constant, uh, you know, thing battle with yourself to make sure that you're, you know, yeah. Again, like you said, doing it for the right reasons and, and everything that goes along with that. Yeah. I remember, I remember this is, this is no kidding. And people, people, people that watch, you know, hunting public will be like, not believe this story, but not that awful long ago, I was sitting in a tree stand with my buddy Ben, and Ben's been on some videos. He's, he's like my best best bud from back in Ohio, and we're sitting in a tree stand, and I remember looking at him and just turning to him and saying, do you think we should stop doing this? Like, should we stop deer hunting? And he was like, he looked at me like, I don't really care if we do or we don't. Cause like we just were making it so not fun, you know, it's the same thing. It's like, 
we were taking it so seriously and we were like we were doing scent control and we were like you know making sure everything was perfect everything was going to be perfect everything had to be perfect and it became not fun and we also because of that actually limited ourselves and what we were learning and you know we weren't advancing as far as like trying new things or getting out of our comfort zone let's put it that way we were never getting out of our comfort zone and it was just like not very much fun and then we you know right at that moment that was kind of the turning point of like well we're either gonna have to get a lot more serious about fishing or we need to like (laughs) basically fishing and turkey hunting or we need to buckle down and like do something different and that that that's the kind of a turning point always in my mind because i actually asked him that and he did not he didn't look at me like no, of course not. He looked at me like, I don't know. I'm not really having much fun either. So like, <laughs> you know, that always sticks out to me as like a, a kind of a turning point. So <laughs> if you ever get into that point, don't quit. Just like figure out what, what, you know, what reason you go hunting and like what, uh, you know, I guess like, what do you love about it and focus on those points? Yeah, that's, that's, that's so true. And the the thing you just mentioned there, like with, scent control. And I know I, I, I have a inclination. You feel similar on this, but like there was a period where I was reading so much of like what I needed to do that one morning it was, I was getting ready to go into my stand like an hour and a half before dark or before light. And I'm pulling all my clothes out of my tote that I had in the back of my truck and I'm, it's freezing cold. I'm in my underwear trying to put this on. And I'm like, this sucks like i do not want to do this yeah. so now now it's just like i i joke about it. it's like a, yeah i just i get up i put my clothes on in my house i do whatever i need to do i drive to the stand in it I'm, i might spray down with something just because i don't know it makes me feel better but uh, other than that yeah. it's like <laughs> i i then i just you know i just hunt that way and it's it's made it a lot more fun and and am I screwing myself? Maybe some point, maybe whatever. But for me, it's, it's way, it's worth it more to me to, to, to make it fun. And, and, you know, you could still work hard in other avenues and, and make success for yourself rather than, than focusing on some of those points that don't make it fun. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's easy to get caught up into it too, again, because hunting media, uh, unfortunately it's just like so focused on some of the things that I think like we're really trapping trap like getting us in a trap of like doing the same old thing like we were just I just remember being so concerned about so many things that like I don't concern myself with now but it was all because it was stuff that we were reading and from you know credible sources but like it doesn't have to be that way. You know, there's no, there is no rule book. You know, I, I'm a, I say that a lot. I don't like, I don't like when people say if this is the best way or this is the way that you have to do it, do it however you want to do it. I mean, I like to hunt off the ground and stock stuff, but like not everybody likes to do that. Some guys love sitting in a tree stand for seven days straight, but that is not fun to me. So I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's a perfect example. Like when when I I really started seeing you doing that, like hunting off the ground and stuff. I'm like, this is awesome. Like they just, you know, you've taken like all what you consider rules of whitetail hunting and just kind of threw them out the window. And I think it's like yeah. it's it's so it's so refreshing. And you know, it's 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 funny too. Like when for me and and if someone that's 
listened to this podcast before has heard me kind of tell this story, but my dad had shot a couple of, actually three of his biggest bucks he had shot off the ground. Um, and mm-hmm. so what he would do is he'll go and we have like these big MP, MPA MPA. Yeah. So have these big, we have these big like timber cuts, these big logging cuts and he'll, when it's during a rut, he'll just walk like the logging roads through there and grunt and snap sticks and do all this stuff. And he shot, yeah, two of definitely two of his biggest bucks were off the ground frontal at like 10 to 12 yards, like just called it in, like coming in like this. And I started doing that, you know, based off of his, he's like, cause I was, you know, even when I was younger, like even in college, I was wearing myself out. I felt like trying to sit dark to dark and doing this. And he's like, just sleep in a little bit, get up, get, start walking from your truck as it's getting light and hunt your way in. If you're going to sit in the stand, hunt your way in and, you know, off the ground. And I, I missed more bucks than I had, than I successfully got, but it was so much fun. And it still is. I still, uh, you know, do that sometimes. And, and it's just a different way of thinking about it. And like someone like my dad, you know, he, didn't and doesn't you know consume a lot of hunting media so he just did it the way that he found that worked for him and yeah, i think there's so yeah. much to learn from that yeah man that's that's super cool and you know i get because of doing that all the time and my going to you know i've done it you know started doing it in iowa and like you know you get people saying oh that would never work here and it's like you know, the thing is, is people have been doing it for, for forever. I mean, yeah. as long as humans have existed, people have been killing deer off the ground with a bow. I hate to break it to you, but like it, it can be done in big bucks too. It's like your dad's a perfect example. We were talking about a mutual friend, John Adams. Yeah. That guy shoots big bucks off the ground in Pennsylvania. With yeah. A bow. yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's it. It can be done. So like, you know, no matter where you're at in the country, you can do this, this style. And I think, but it, but it's gotta be, if it works for you, if you don't like doing it fine, but don't, don't knock it until like, you know, it's something that you put some effort into because it definitely is a different style of hunting and there's like a learning curve for it, but it, you know, it, it, uh, it can be effective. Like I said, yeah. people have been doing it for forever. Yeah. And like, yeah, it, it's like when I watched some of the videos where you were, you know, doing it, like glassing them and then, you know, putting a stock on and stuff. I'm like, I need to find some areas where I can do that too. Like that looks so uh-huh. much fun. Cause it like almost combines everything I love about Western hunting, um, you know, yeah. with, with whitetail hunting too. And it's like, and, and uh, when you said about like hunting off the ground, when people say, Oh, you come here and try that it can work everywhere. It's just, you got to, it's just adapting to what your situation is here. It's thicker. So you're right. not going to be glassing them for the most part, but you can still hunt and, and do different things like that, that, that are, uh, different. And, and same with like, with me, I started saddle hunting last year, just trying it. I'd always kind of wanted to do it. And then, I mean, uh-huh. definitely the, the media helped me with that. Cause it, it got popular and I'm like, I want to try this. And, um, and, sure. and I had Greg from tethered on the, the podcast and stuff before, and I ended up trying to saddle last year and that made it so much fun too, in a different way. I'm like, I don't have this heavy stand on my back. So I used to like pack in my climber all the time and it'd be yeah. like, Oh man, it was just I'm like, this is so much fun 
to to do that and and it's i don't use a saddle for every situation but like it's just it's a another tool in my in my you know pack to be able to to do something different and it's it's incredibly fun and the same thing like with the the stigma of like all right you got to be high up in the tree you know most in my in my saddle and even when i'm hunting out of a hang-on stand i'm mostly hunting 10 to 12 feet sometimes 14 feet sometimes six or eight feet it all depends on you know what what it looks like and what trees i have available and it's it's like you don't there's not a a set rule book for it yeah yeah like when i somebody is a really great example about not getting very far up in a tree for a tree stand is jake uh from uh founding public and he's afraid of heights guy won't get up into a tree more than like you know 10 feet (laughs) (laughs) visibly shaken and it's like he won't he just won't do it so like even if it's like the most you know the tree you're like well this will never work he's shot some he's shot the out of places where you're like well that'll never work but it does because you know it just he's got a mobile, you know, he's mobile hunting. He's not hunting the same spot over and over. It's like, you know, you just kind of grew up learning that if you hunt, you know, if you don't hunt high enough, you don't have perfect cover, you know, the deer are going to spot you. Well, that's true if you're hunting the same spots over and over and over again. But if you're being mobile, it's like, you can get away with a lot more than you think. I mean, that, that's something I just learned, not that, you know, just really less than five years ago. So it's like, it's, it's just a, I don't know. It's just so much depending on uh, what you're interested in, I guess. Yeah. And yeah, try different things, mess around with them and, and, and figure it out. I, I shared a photo on my Instagram sometime this year, earlier in the year of what I called my, my old mobile hunting setup. I had my backpack with uh-huh. this heavy, um, big game steel tree stand on the back and those literally those climbing sticks that are the steel ones that clip together that you get at field and stream for like 30 bucks. I was packing those in. It's like, I wasn't tearing it down every time, but like, it was just, it was funny. There's a picture of me with it on my pack and it looked like I had like, like just like this giant thing on my back going through the woods. And it's like, and, 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 you know, when I, if I hear anything with people being like, Oh, you know, it, it must be nice to have all this lightweight gear and do this stuff. I'm like, man, you don't need all that. I, you know, I got to a point where I have, you know, got those things, purchased them or whatever. And, and like using them now, but you don't need that. Like I, I don't consider myself any more successful now than I was then. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's, that's another thing too. I mean, it kind of how, you know, one of the things that the hunting public that we're always trying to, keep in mind and, and it is exactly that like okay at what point does it get like too much gear for somebody that's like just getting into it or is curious about getting into it and stuff that's like at the end of the day you need a tag to be legal or whatever you know whatever tags you need for that state licenses and then you need a bow and a and arrows like i mean that bow could just be a recurve bow with some pretty basic arrows it didn't have to be anything special i'm like then you're hunting you know like you can go out in jeans and a and you know your your tennis shoes you know it doesn't really yeah it doesn't really matter what gear you have and i think that that's uh it's just one thing that you know 
hunting on the ground really makes me feel good that somebody watching can at least get, they can at least get confidence from what I'm doing to be able to like try hunting that way. You know, like it's a way for them, somebody to get out, it's a way for somebody to get into it. Start adding tree stands and, and tons of camo and tons of, you know, scent elimination stuff. Like your bill gets pretty, pretty steep, pretty quick. But if you just buy a bow and arrows, I mean, that's actually affordable and a license, you know? Yeah. And, and the one thing that, you know, I tell people is like, I didn't just like all of a sudden get all this stuff. Like I accumulated yeah. it over time as I was like, Oh, I'm a little uncomfortable. So I want to, you know, it's not a necessity in any means. And I get caught up too and in gear and stuff sometimes. And you gotta, you know, I gotta remind myself, it's like, okay, do I really need that? Or, you know, whatever. But right. it's, 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 oh, a, yeah. you know, I don't knock anybody for having the best gear and I don't ha- knock anybody for not having much of anything. It, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, what you want and I don't look at anybody any differently at, you know, whether they look like they just, you know, got dressed out of Cabela's or if they, you know, or they have Walmart clothes, you know, it's, it's actually funny. Like it growing up at my hunting camp, if I'd like when I, I remember when Under Armour first came out and I got one of their jackets, I thought I was so cool. And yeah, I'd walk into camp and my family would be like, Oh look, here's Mr. Cabela's coming in the door, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, but um, so to kind of, kind of shift gears a little bit here, Zach, I wanted, um, you know, you and I had talked about a little bit yesterday on the phone and, and before here about, you know, you, you guys have hunted a ton of different places and I heard a podcast that you did with Brett joy about hunting, you know, some of the Northeast and stuff. And, and from talking to you, it sounds like you really enjoy like some of this East coast Appalachian mountain region style of hunting and you know last year you guys went to new york and you know you that was an epic video and series of videos i guess that uh there and i just kind of wanted to just hear like what you know that some of the differences like from some of the places you might be used to hunting and what why you're so interested in continuing to hunt these type of places Say that, say that again, I guess I, I kind of got distracted, sorry. No, you're good. I was just saying, like, so when you, uh, like, last year were hunting New York, and I don't know if that was your first time or anything, but, like, you seem to be interested in a lot of this northeast and eastern Appalachian region. You guys turkey hunted in Virginia and Tennessee and, and all these yeah. places. Like, what, why are you so interested in that, you know, when you're hunting places, you get you know, you've hunted places like Iowa and stuff. What draws you to these other places? Uh, I think that's a really good question. I think that the biggest thing is, is like, I remember when I first kind of give you a quick backstory, kind of falls into what we've been talking about, right? I was making hunting not that fun. I was like trying to hunt big bucks and I was obsessing over like trying to have a, you know, essentially just a bigger buck and like i couldn't understand why i'm watching you know people in in iowa shoot these giant bucks and just seeing tons of tons of bucks tons of big bucks and it's just like i i I legitimately did not understand it and you know there's say what you will about ohio i wasn't seeing i wasn't seeing what people see in iowa and i didn't understand it well the first day i ever drove into iowa to 
interview as a, for an intern at Midwest Whitetail, I realized like, oh, this is why. Like, there's just nobody out there. And it's like, there's all this incredible unbroken habitat. And it's just like, well, that's why there's so many big bucks. But, you know, hunting that at first was really fun. And I learned a lot really fast because I was having a lot of encounters with, you know, a lot more you know, bigger bucks, I guess, more, maybe older bucks, whatever, whatever you want to call it, just having a lot of encounters. I was seeing a lot more deer. So I felt like I learned a lot really quick, but there was always this like really, really like uh, deep desire to go back to, you know, those hilly areas, those, those places I kind of left in college. And, you know, as I continue to explore on maps and got the more of an ability to go try new areas it's just like you can just keep getting bigger and bigger and you know the 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 i've always been attracted to mountains like my my aunt and uncle have lived in colorado for like over uh, i want to say like 12 years and i've been coming out here looking at you know the rocky mountains for a long time i've always been interested in them but then you know, I always like had this love too for how much the Appalachians differed from the Rockies. Like they're different. You can't really compare them in my opinion, but like they're both really, really cool, really, really unique, you know, terrain and habitat and stuff. And I think that just that the animals that live there are super cool. And, you know, I also really, really like that added challenge of like, endless acres of timber you know you can find it in the same thing in colorado mountains if you're elk hunting it's just like endless acres of timber and you got to go find the thing that lives in like what seems like the most monotonous country in the world same thing goes for trying to find a turkey in west virginia or virginia in the mountains it's like you're trying to find the thing that lives out in this like really <laughs> unique area and uh you know i just I don't know. There, there's something about being in the hills and like being able to, you know, explore these areas and get really far away from other humans that this has always drawn me a lot to it. And, you know, I, I feel like we often get like these stats, like, and, and everybody gets it. Like there's just these stabs at different regions of the country. It's like, man, everybody, everybody has a unique situation. And like, you just got to embrace that and, and, you know, yeah, it may be tough in your area or it's for fine deer and stuff, but like, or turkeys or whatever, but like it can be done. And I think just trying to relate to that as much as possible is another main draw to that yeah. region, I guess. Yeah, no, that, that a hundred percent makes sense. And, and, you know, I've, I've grown up, as I said, hunting here my whole life and this, you know, different places, but I still want to just like keep, Find, like going different places. I, I live, I live really close to New York, and I've never hunted New York. And I'm like, I need to do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. and you know, and I'm like, then I start looking at other places, and and I've talked briefly to to Brett Joy before, and like I'm like, man, you can keep going up and and hunting like some really cool places. And there's the, you know the Adirondacks in New York, and getting up in uh, into the the mountains even further there. And then I've met guys you know, from Virginia and West Virginia and some of those, some of that country. And it's just like, there's, there's so many places and so many opportunities, 
you know, are, are you going to find a 170 inch deer behind every tree? No. And that's, you know, not, not what, uh, what really makes me tick. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love big bucks. Like that's, I get excited about it. And, and, you know, sometimes I get, uh, obsessed when I get one on camera that I just like, Oh, I, I want to hunt this deer and, and stuff. But in general, I just, really enjoy hunting this this unbroken timber and almost like deer kind of in the habitat that i feel like they're just as natural as can be in so zach with with like hunting some of these new areas like with new york and even like when you were turkey hunting in in virginia and and you know west virginia and stuff do you like what what do you go into that any differently? Like when you go in as far as like trying to figure out the deer, how did you kind of tackle some of these new places and, and big timber? I know it's not the, you know, the first time you've hunted something like that, but when you go into a new area like that, what, what kind of runs through your mind? Uh, I think the biggest like difference is, um, trying to learn like what a lot of sign means for that area, you know? Um, and I want to just get as many samples as I can. So like, I don't want to just see sign and be like, I don't really know what that means. Like, I want to keep looking at sign and being like, okay, this is a little bit of sign for this area. This is a lot of sign for this area because it's going to look different, right? Like if you're looking at sign in, um, like New York, for example, it's going to look a lot different than it would in Iowa. So those are two extremes but it's going to vary everywhere you go. You know, it's going to look different in West Virginia. It's going to look different in New York. It's going to look different in Southern Ohio, uh, New Hampshire, whatever. Like you just, I guess the biggest thing that I know that I need to do when I first get to one of these spots is like learn what, what sign means, you know, and and what is a lot of sign. Yeah. That, that, that makes that. starting point i guess yeah i mean it makes sense i mean even you know if you're looking at for for me even pennsylvania compared to southern ohio like a lot of the terrain looks similar but like the way the deer lay the sign down is different i remember going to ohio and finding these scrapes that were like the size of truck hoods it seemed like and i'm like oh like this is it this is the spot and then yeah. uh, i found a lot more of them like that and it wasn't like a yeah. you know if i find one like that in pennsylvania it's a pretty good chance it's a more of a community scrape and they're used more often and and then you look at that it's just like yeah i i i'm following you there as far as how signs signs different in those places and especially the extremes of different areas that that you hunt yeah and i mean Another thing is the pressure. I mean, I spend a lot of time driving around. I try to learn. I guess one thing too that I that I failed to mention is uh, scale of, of what like I've been looking at on a map um, and just trying to get a scale for it. So like driving around tells me that, and it tells me where hunting pressure is coming from, and you know, it also teaches me ways that I can avoid it. All right, I got Zach back here. Just so uh, anyone listening knows, just in case I'm not a, a genius with uh, cutting this up and putting it together, he's uh, losing service in and out in, in Colorado here. So I apologize if we're uh, jumping around a little bit. But Zach, you uh, you were talking about you know the the first thing you kind of look for you know when you're going into 
um, you know, some of these newer places, big timber and kind of identifying, you know, what sign looks like, what a lot of sign looks like. And so, you know, after that, what do you, what are some other things you're kind of looking at there? Well, scale is another thing that scale of the area is another thing that I'm looking at. Like, you know, you're looking at a map beforehand, whether it be, you know, sometimes for us, it's like not very much time at all. Like there's certain times where, you know, we don't even look at the map until we're like on the way. I mean, we have general vicinity picked out, right? But we're not like diving in trying to find specific spots necessarily. And it's not going to be exactly that when you get there. So driving around, looking at the size of those hills, looking at the size of, um, or, you know, trying to get a gauge of how long it takes to get from point A to point B. That's another thing that I, I always like to do. So I spend a lot of time, like, on that on a trip the first day or so driving like just getting an idea of what is going on as far as hunting pressure um you know you can kind of tell deer density by driving around whether you're seeing a lot of deer or you're seeing trails crossing roads i i look i honestly look at trails crossing the roads so much people if somebody else is driving i get irritated because they're always going too fast for me it's like hey slow down we're not in any race. We're not trying to get anywhere. We're trying to look at this and try to break it down from the vehicle. And that's kind of that first step. Um, just getting an idea of like scale, I guess. Yeah. And, um, well, and uh, it also tells you a lot about hunting pressure, deer density, stuff like that. So that's such, that's, I mean, that's such a good point. Before and... you even start getting that idea of what a lot of sign looks like. I really like to just get an overall gauge of what the area is yeah gonna look like once we start getting into it one thing you said there you know about driving around i think that's such a an overlooked thing i mean i know even with myself like when i feel like when anybody wants to get to a new area they just want to hunt they just want to get out and hunt and like you said there's it's not a race especially if like if you're looking at most people's say they're going out of state to hunt they usually have like a week off and yep. you know there's you don't need a rush and if because if you go and rush and hunt a spot that say you go in it looks like good sign and you sit there and you sit there for three days and something doesn't happen like you'd like you wasted three days where if you're you know driving around like you're doing looking at the hunting pressure and then you know walking in the woods and covering ground and finding that kind of stuff then then you're not it's not wasteful time yeah yeah, and you might find stuff driving around, too, that you wouldn't expect to find. Like, sometimes, you know, obviously you haven't been to an area, right? And you're diving into it, just completely, completely new to it. All of a sudden, you're driving down a road that looks like it's a road on the map, and then all of a sudden, it's not a road anymore. And it's this, like, you know, rocky mess that, you know, looks like a road on the map, but in reality, it's just something you can't even drive up or... Maybe you get to a place that there is a road and there's a big tree down in front of it, you know, down on it. And it's a minimum maintenance road where somebody might not be there for weeks or uh, maybe there's a road that's too muddy to drive down. I mean, those are things that I learn all the time driving around a new area that I'm planning on hunting that really, really open my eyes to things that, you know, I could spend 
tons and tons of time, hours and hours on a map beforehand. But until I drove there, I may never even know that the spot um, that, you know, had, there's something unique about it that allows you to uh, take advantage of an area and get somewhere where nobody else is. And you know, I will say this too, rarely, rarely, rarely is the spot that I pick on the map where we end up having like success or getting into stuff. You know, it's like usually takes, it's usually a process, right? It's like you kind of go in and you start to figure it out. You dig around a little bit. You just eventually put the pieces of the puzzle together. But, you know, I think one thing that is easy to get in the caught up in is like you said, you just want to get there and you want to hunt. But in reality, there's so much more benefit. It's, it is a little bit painful. There's times where you're like, man, we should be out there, especially if you're seeing bucks crossing the road or, you know, moving around out in the open somewhere. But like, by all means, check your spot out. If you're new to it, don't overlook that time. It's very, very valuable. Yeah. And, 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 you know, another thing too is like, so even like when I would drive to Southern Ohio and scout, you know, in the springtime and find some good spots, I, you know, I don't just go in there and hunt one of those good spots until you check it out. At least this is the way I look at it because just because something's hot one year, it might not be the next oh, year. Yeah. That deer could be dead if it was a single deer doing it, or, you know, it might be a, a spot that's hot every year at that time. You don't know, but by putting those boots on the ground and kind of checking it out and, and going through and feeling out the area, you can gain so much, you know, more Intel. And I, you know, and I've learned that from, you know, messing up essentially like the first, <laughs> the first time I went to Ohio, I sat in like two trees throughout the whole time and, and, uh, I struggled with it. You know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't even kill a deer on that trip. And it was just like, it was a, a real learning experience for me on, on going to those new spots. And, you know, and I, I try to do that even with spots that I've hunted for years, not just relying on what I've done in the past, but really kind of feeling out what's happening now. And, you know, mm-hmm. things are always con- constantly changing. Yeah. And like, that's kind of why I like, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to promote this too much because I think, again, everybody's got their own way of doing things. And, you know, I don't, I don't really hunt at home very much anymore, you know, because I travel so much. I don't really feel like I have like, you know, this home base for like whitetail anymore. You know, it's like, it just, I like to be moving around. I like going to new spots. So like I try not to bank on scouting off season scouting too much. You know, I like to get out and scout, but I don't necessarily, it doesn't even have to be in a place that I'm going to hunt. If I'm walking around and I'm learning about deer, that's good enough because, you know, I think exactly like what you just said, you can, you can go into areas and, and get so locked on this idea that, well, he was there last year, the sign was there in, in March when I was there scouting, but then you go in and hunt it and, you know, the deer's dead or, or there's a bunch of people from Florida that came to hunt that year and they're all hunting that same piece and they drove him out of there. I mean, let's be honest, like pressure is going to change deer patterns too in some, some form. So it's like, you can't just, especially at least if you're hunting public land or on permission, you can't bank on things being exactly the same every year. Some places they are, some places are just hot spots and like, 
you know, they may be great for 10, 20 years, longer maybe. But most of the time, I think, think small things are going to change and being, you know, adaptive, I guess, is the, the main the main thing there is as far as just being on what's the hot sign, you know, being yeah. on where the deer are right now. Yeah, and, and food sources can change too, you know, if you're hunting oh, an yeah. area that heavily, yeah, oh yeah, exactly. And even like, so if you're looking at, you know, if you're looking specifically at like acorns, if there's not, you know, if there's not a good acorn crop this year, but there was last year, that's going to change everything. Last year in Pennsylvania, you know, a lot of the spots I hunt don't even have oak trees, but some of them do. And there was a lot more sign from the previous year up towards the top of the ridges and stuff. And there was, there was definitely acorns where last year there wasn't any acorns on the top and the deer were, they were down like in, you know, just showing kind of the way the train was, but like 500 feet in elevation, they were down there lower where the, yeah. the cherry trees had black cherries on them and, and there's beech nuts and there was different things that had them in different places. And, and if you just go in with a, a fixed strategy, you know, you're in for a long week or a long season in, in general. And yeah, like, yeah. and that's one of the things that like, I enjoy learning from some of the stuff that, that you do is like, learning what those food sources are and they're not always just something as you know jumping out at you like acorns or you know soybeans or anything like that you know there's so many little things you know that they browse on and they're doing and it's it it takes a while to kind of figure that out well and and it kind of comes back to what i was talking about with the getting an idea of what a lot of time is and what isn't you know and and the only way you're doing that is, is is in season i mean you, well, I guess I shouldn't say the only way. You can definitely find out, you know, uh, uh, you can get a sample in the winter scouting of like, okay, this is a lot of sign, this isn't. And I would say if I'm going to be scouting in the off season, that is my main focus is, you know, looking for an area where there's a lot of deer, a lot of buck. So finding a lot of buck sign as much as I, you know, for that region, as much as I can find. And then that might help me zone in on an area a little bit, but you can do that just the same in season too. And that's the way I prefer to do it because then when I find it, I know that I can hunt it right now. I don't have to guess or go back and check it because no matter what, you still have to go back and check something again. Cause like, like you said too, here, if you're, yeah, I mean, you're, you're the biggest thing that I, that I keep coming back to and, I can just use a direct example. You used your, your Ohio example. You know, I used to go, when I first moved to Iowa, every winter, I would winter, summer, every single day that I could, I was walking around. And I learned a lot of good stuff from that. But what I also did was create this really bad habit of, like, thinking this is the greatest spot I've ever found. And when I go in here on blank date, it's going to be an incredible hunt. And you know how many times I was disappointed every time because I was just (laughs) taking this stab, you know, I'm like just stabbing that like, okay, right here on the map or on the calendar is when this time is right. And food sources, hunting pressure, uh, floods in some cases, you know, like that all affects where those deer are in a given day and a given, I mean, a given hour like 
you're hunting something that's trying to be comfortable and have, you know, all the things it needs in close proximity to where it is. And like those, those factors that make it comfortable for a deer are changing all the time. And if you bank on one spot being good at a specific time, you're, you're mostly going to be disappointed. And I just, I just think about all the times I, you know, got so hyped up on this one spot and got so excited about it and then just went in and wasted time. You know, when I was, especially like when I was working at Midwest Whitetail, I didn't get to hunt very much like in October. And uh, I would just go into these spots that I was so sure were the perfect spot. And I would get in there and they were no good. And I just think about how many days I wasted that I could have just been scouting. You know, I could have been moving around, still hunting, getting more aggressive getting closer to these bedding areas, but instead I was just like diving in for one spot. Well, like it was going to be the perfect hunt in my head and it never was. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's so, that's so true. And I, I can relate to it a lot and it's, it's easy to get, you know, caught in those ruts if, um, you know, especially if you've had good experiences there in the past and, and stuff. And like, mm-hmm. so when you're, you know, when you're scouting and looking and trying to figure out what a lot of sign looks like and everything. So how, when there's like those, I don't know if this is the right term, but like micro food sources or the ones that aren't as, you know, prevalent or jumping out at you, how are you no- noticing like, all right, this is an area that the deer are spending more time in. I mean, I obviously tracks and, and, you know, other sign there, but is there anything else that like makes you think that they're, they're feeding in this area or it's kind of a, a, not a very great way of question giving you that question. No, I but. Don't, no that's no, I think that is a good question. I mean, honestly, the biggest thing is tracks. I'm, I, you know, even in like, um, uh, open timber or, uh, you know, maybe a thicket or something like you're looking at tracks and you're looking at just the density of how many deer are in an area and kind of the consistency of those tracks. I mean, you can look at a trail and you can tell that deer are just like using that trail to travel from point A to point B. But when you get into a food source, there's like a, there's kind of like a stomping consistency to it where like they're standing around, they're like floating around. They're not just beelining it to a, specific spot they're just kind of meandering around um and and you can tell that by leaves being flipped back you can tell that by um you can tell that by like looking at vegetation that you know brushy type vegetation you know there's obviously browse marks on that stuff so for example uh one time we were in minnesota pretty big pretty big timber i mean there was definitely some ag but like I mean, if I'm being completely honest, I never hunt ag. I won't even hardly consider being around it at all, even if it's in, you know, a state <laughs> that, you know, it, it just it just isn't really. Uh, it doesn't ever jump out to me as being something that is worthwhile, just because I know everybody else does too, and generally ag fields, you know, a mature buck just doesn't show up in daylight. So like, I'm always looking for a different food source. A lot of times, it's kind of your generic. But one time in Minnesota. Um, Jake and I, long, long story short, uh, we have a whole video on it from like it's the Public Land Challenge in 2018, I believe, if you're really interested in going back and looking at it. But we found, we jumped this big buck and he was with several other bucks, a couple does. And he was, I mean, the one buck that we jumped was like no doubt shooter, uh, you know, anywhere I would go in the country, just a big old mature 
big body buck. And he he was hanging right around. Um, it was uh, stinging nettles, and like they just had those things just totally chewed up. Like they were completely wilted over. They were tracks meandering all around them. There was like all these little mini trails that kind of spider webbed through it. And it was just like that's where they are. And there was don't get me wrong too. There was other probably plants in there too that I don't even know the names of, but like there was all all the sign in this little area where you could just tell they were stomping it. And everywhere we went <coughs> excuse me, after that, where it had that vegetation type, there was deer in it. And it like just cued us right off to that. And it's like just looking for something telling you that the deer are kind of meandering around. Or if you jump them, like don't don't just jump a deer and be like, ah oh, damn, like I ruined my whole hunt. I've ruined my whole day and start moping. Like, have your little moment where you're kicking yourself, but then get down to the nitty gritty and start looking for the sign that's telling you what they're doing and why they're in that area. Why are they in that bedding area? Why are they feeding or what are they feeding on? You know, what is the reason as far as like the perfect escape or how are they monitoring where people are coming in and out? You know, in this situation specifically, these deer were bedded up a little with a little bit of elevation just above where it started to flatten out and all that river bottom habitat was where they were feeding, browsing right outside of their bedding area. And just past that, within, you know, their pretty easy eyesight of that of their bed right there was the main access trail. And here's this big buff bedded right there facing that access trail but he's got everything he needs and if he needed to escape he could either just run straight down into the river bottom or he could just run straight up over a hill but i'll bet you 90 percent of the time he just let people walk right past him and just watch him and uh you know that situation i think is a great example of like what you're talking about as far as like what i'm looking for like just simply thinking of trying to find sign that looks like deer feeding. I know it sounds silly and like kind of stupid. And maybe you're thinking like, well, what does he even mean? But like, just think about how a deer would act. Put yourself into a deer's shoes. If you're feeding, you're not just walking from point A to point B. You're meandering around. You're hitting like different plants very specifically with your, you know, with your mouth. Like you're not just going to be walking a straight line. And I think that sign really shows up, especially after a rain or something like that you know yeah and and that's that's you know just such good points especially like and if you're in a time outside of like the the rut and like especially like through october october is a month where food sources are changing so frequently and as leaves start falling their bedding's changing because one place that might have been kind of thicker cover isn't you know as the leaves start to fall and that they shift and there's so many different variables and I think that you know with that in-season scouting and being able to check it out and and one thing you did there you know I was having trouble wording that question for you because I, I have trouble like even asking people because I know I have trouble answering it when it's a question of like trying to to generalize every situation and giving like one tip for it. But when you tell a story like you did, it's easy to, to be able to pull points out of that, that you can learn from and apply it to your situation. It might not be the same, it might not be the same scenario, but you can apply that idea. And, you know, and and that's especially like when I have, 
like I've interviewed a bunch of people, but like one guys that like are consistently successful, they can't answer that in a one, you know, tip answer to be able to be successful early season hunting. You, you know, there's, there's no, there's no one way of doing it. There's, you know, being able to observe it and kind of figuring it out as you go. And I know that's not, you know, in a, in a world where we want quick responses and quick answers to things. It's, it's yeah. just the, the fact of it. Yeah. And it, it, like, I kind of, I think I kind of touched on it earlier too. It's like experience always wins and, and the more experiences you get and the more times that you get out there and try it and fail. I mean, you got to fail. Like you got to love to fail really. I mean, like you should be hungry for extreme failure because those extreme failure days are generally when you learn the most, um, you know, and, and I guess I, I thought of another example about a food source, um, a different food source and a different like habitat type. I don't know if you want me to tell yeah. another quick example. Yeah, let's of hear it. Too, I think so we were in Alabama, um, two, two seasons ago. I think it was early, I guess it was early 2019, but they have like a later rut down there. So we were there in January and Ted and I spent a ton of time scouting around looking for, you know, trying to learn that, that sign, you know, what's a lot of sign in this area. And, and finally we started, we were on a pretty short trip. Um, I wish it would have been longer, but I think we were only there for like five days or so. So like, it got to a point where we'd walk for like, you know, two, two and a half days. We're like, all right, we got to start like making some, some setups or, you know, you know, we weren't, we weren't finding anything that was like insane, but we're like, we got to start putting some sort of time in because, you know, we got to at least get a gauge. Right. And we ended up picking a couple spots. And one of the spots that we went to, we were kind of on a transition area and we, there wasn't necessarily a food source there, but we found some, some, I guess the highest concentration of scrapes that we found the whole time and kind of a unique terrain feature. And, uh, we're like, man, I mean, that, that just seems right. Like there's a, several rubs in here. They're kind of like three or four scrapes, just kind of in a pocket and they weren't on fire. They weren't like hit that day, but it was like, man, buck's gotta be in this area. And Jake and I ended up setting up in it and almost got a shot at a buck, but, we ended up getting some pretty funky winds and we were having a hard time set, setting up in there. So we went to the other area and the other area we were walking in and this, this actually, actually this other particular like chunk within the piece of public that we were hunting did have some ag fields on it. And again, I'm like, I'm not thinking that we're going to hunt this ag field. Like I have no interest in hunting this ag field because they're just not going to be there in daylight. And, um, we go, our, our whole strategy was like get in there early in the, like late morning, or very, very early afternoon and just scout the field edge and just keep scouting that whole field edge. Every, and there was a bunch of different like sectioned off little fields and stuff like that. And we just scouted the, the, the whole area. And eventually we came to this like corner of the field where there was just tons of scrapes, like, I mean, lit up with scrapes. Deer definitely feeding here at night, right? So we're like, okay, this is where we're going into the timber. This is where we're going to break into this, you know, from the field into the timber because he's in there somewhere, you know. He's, he's, there's just too much buck sign right in this specific spot in the field. 
So we <laughs> go in there and we're scouting our way in doing the same thing. And it kind of, we had kind of had a dead spot. And all of a sudden we got to this, this stuff where it was just, they call it privet hedge. And I don't, I don't think there's a whole lot of it in the places that I've hunted and not enough that it stands out, but like it was thick with this privet hedge in this specific spot that we were hunting. And you could just tell the deer were in there feeding on it like crazy. It was just like kind of stripped off the, the thin branches, kind of wiry branches and it was stripped off and there was deer snaking through it everywhere. There's trails just zigzagging everywhere. And we got right to a transition area where it went from our right side, there was this wall of privet. Our left side, there's another wall of privet, and we were in just this little tiny pocket of open timber. And right when we hit that open pocket of timber, there were scrapes in there. So we're like, okay, this is a perfect place between these two little food sources where there's a, uh, a uh, you know, area where they can travel through. You know, they can walk these transition lines. They can check any does, scent check any does that are going in and out of them, whatever. And we decide on a tree, and of course, it was super windy and we start making, making noise, getting the saddles in the tree. And I'm like one step up the tree and a buck runs into us. Like he, he heard us making noise yeah. he came right in and we didn't get a, I mean, didn't get a shot. He was, he, he seriously was like seven yards before he knew we were there. And he was about seven yards before I knew he was there. And all of a sudden it's just like, you know, we're staring at each other and we're both kind of freaked out. He runs off. But point is, is like, we were guessing it right, but the only reason we guessed it right is kind of two main, two, two, two different, this is a, it's a different situation in the fact that like we used a bigger destination type food source, which it is not limited to a field by any means. In some situations, it may be an oak stand. Yeah. Uh, maybe that oak stand in, in Pennsylvania is the destination food source. Maybe in, you know, New Hampshire or Virginia or something, you know that is that main destination food source, or maybe it's a clear, a fresh clear cut is another great example of yep. a big timber destination food source. But until we found the hot sign on that destination food source, that was when we, you know, we didn't dive in, but then as soon as we found that hot sign, we dove in a little bit further and then we took it a step further to find that smaller left used like food source that was more of a staging area. And we didn't see any more bucks that night, but we saw those doing exactly what we thought they'd be doing, standing up, you know, moving from their bedding area to that crop crop field. And they were browsing around through that privet head stuff. And it's just like, man, you know, you take that, you take it like a different scale, I guess, as far as the food source. And, and you know, it's kind of the, the generic term for what I'm talking about is a staging area. But essentially where they're feeding right out of their petting area and uh you know just just really trying to pay attention to what like feeding sign i think and, and i you know hopefully described at least a couple situations or yeah or ideas to think about as you're moving in I, I'll tell you what, Zach, I'm really impressed by your knowledge of these different plants and stuff, <laughs> like the, the names of them. Because, like, I know for me, like, I'll be like, I know a deer likes to eat this from some, like, you could tell they're either chewing on it or doing something, but do I actually know what it's called? Most of the time, not. I was like, I, I had classes what? in high school that were all about identifying trees and all this stuff. I didn't remember a damn thing from it. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I actually, I actually am pretty, 
pretty lucky. That buddy of mine that I was talking about, Ben, he uh, he's a forester, so like he's a I I I make I pick on him, but like I'm very thankful that he is as interested in it as he is because I can just send him I can send him a snapshot of any plant that I'm curious about. He'll send me a response of what he thinks it is, and if he doesn't know what it is, he'll he'll learn about it and, and figure out what what it is and you know if there's anything that would potentially draw uh, wildlife to it and, <laughs> you know just edu- educating yourself on that stuff is like uh, yeah, I just got flat sorry I just got flashed by a cop sorry dude yeah I was probably going a little too fast you're probably right <laughs> sorry <laughs> but educating yourself on those things you know is uh is is important i think as as a hunter you know any way that you can continue to improve like in that and it's funny you say that because that's actually a goal that i've set for myself is to get even better at that <laughs> same I, here i really want to i really <laughs> want to like get better at figuring out what different plants are just become more knowledgeable in the potential benefits they have for wildlife you know yeah, that's the right. same thing me and my buddy were talking about at the beginning of this year. We're like, we really need to learn, like, a lot of these things, you know, better. Like, I'll I'll call it, like, oh, this red viney thing, you know, I'll be, and it's, I sound so yeah. terrible when I'm saying that, but it's like, I need to learn exactly what it is and why they're feeding there. But uh, it's, you know, an, an example that, you know, I can think of similar to what you are. So like in Pennsylvania, say that there's like a, a big oak stand, you know, a lot of people are hunting those oak stands. That's a big open on top of the ridges, but say I, you know, um, you might see like a, a big scrape on the edge, like where that is, you know, I've went back in and say that, you know, I, I like older clear cuts a lot. I feel like that bucks tend to bed on the edges of them. And there was a, a spot I can think of where there was there the big open oaks. And then you went and there was like a patch of blackberry bushes, like a big patch of it and briars. And they were just feeding on those, the edges of the blackberry bushes, just, you know, browsing on them by walking by, you could see where deer were chewing on them. And then it was like mm-hmm. even thicker a little bit in there. And, you know, as I set up a stand on there and the deer were transitioning and they were walking, not like way out in the open, but through those briars and feeding on them as they were going through. And it was just, you know, something that one that makes it difficult for a shot, but still at the same time, it was just another learning lesson as far as those food sources. You don't, you don't hear that like, Oh, blackberry briars, great thing for deer to feed on, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, and they and they are and like the it's it's funny that I'll maybe maybe uh, make some make some Pennsylvania listeners happy the the whole jagger bush thing yeah <laughs> is that is that something that you guys yeah is that something you call them yeah I call so them like, jagger bushes <laughs> a lot a lot of times they're they're you know a, a, a Pennsylvania folk is referring to a what I would call the uh, multifloral rose plant yeah <laughs> and like those those are those are great 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 food sources for deer i mean yeah and you find it in the east Un- unfortunately you find it extremely thick in some places but like oh. deer love bedding in the edge of that or in it because they can just stand up and they browse on that and they browse on that all year i mean even in the dead of winter they'll be picking on the stems of that stuff it's actually a great late 
season food source as well as a, uh, you know, it's really all around year round food source. So, um, yeah, that's, that's one too, that, that stands out to me is, is and that's a little bit harder to, to scout earlier in the season because deer do this weird thing. I, I've watched them do it a lot where they like are crawling over that stuff. I'm doing it like a, I'm doing it myself here in the driver's seat, but they like pick their feet way up and they walk over it. It's hard to read that sign sometimes because mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to walk through it as efficiently as they are. But like in the winter time, if you're um, like hunting, like let's say I've noticed it a lot, like during Ohio's muzzleloader season, if I'm moving through an area, a lot of times I'll pick up on the track of deer moving right through that stuff and they're browsing through and you can and again you can tell they're browsing because of the meandering walk like not that point a to b walk it's not a a straight line it's not one foot in front of the other it's like one foot over here and then you know maybe there's some maybe there's some uh debris from what they're feeding on like laying on top of the snow um you know those are just little things that as a hunter, I think are really important to be picking up on. And that, that, that's hot sign, man. That's hot, fresh sign. That's telling you they're doing this right now. They're not doing it, you know, they're not, you can look at a rub and in some situations you could say, yeah, that's fresh. But then there's some where it's like, I don't know if that's two weeks or three weeks or 10 weeks, whatever. It's like that sign where, you know, a deer is browsing in a, vegetation type whatever it may be that's telling you what they're doing right now and i think those are some of the the uh little things that if as long as you're taking note of them it'll it'll play itself out don't be super concerned either about like you know if you're listening to this and you're saying to yourself like uh like okay so if i find that then what do i do well don't be concerned about that just take note of it it'll play out you'll you'll start to figure out like you know how to put those pieces of the puzzle together but that's a piece of the puzzle and you know it's not just a bedding area or just a food source or whatever it's like it's one piece of the puzzle of what the deer are doing right now yeah that's yeah and when you talk about multi-floor rows those are big jagger bushes those aren't just jagger bushes those those things yeah. you get you get caught in those i remember so like uh, you know, where I'm at in Pennsylvania, we don't have a lot of that, but as you start getting into the Western part of the state, it's covered. And I know in Ohio and Eastern Ohio and stuff, it's freaking covered in it in some places. And I've got caught in the middle of it, like trying to take a shortcut, like summer time taking cameras out. And I, I felt like I was just going to die right there. Cause I was tangled in it and it like <laughs> hooks into you and you're bleeding. And it's, it's just oh, yeah. a nasty nasty bush or plant or whatever you want to call it <laughs> yeah oh it's yeah it's horrible and that and that's another you know main reason those deer love it is it's just like people don't want to be around it i don't want to be around it really no, it's i hate one it one of the most miserable <laughs> miserable things ever but like that's where those deer are and it you know it clearly doesn't affect them because they can just walk right through it walk right over it and i i mean not it's not deer i know we've been talking about deer but i i even see where turkeys will kind of post up in pockets where they're in between like big patches of patches of that stuff where they're kind of insulated you know yeah they're insulated it's going to take a lot for a predator to get through that stuff without them hearing it i've seen turkeys do that a lot too because you know it's just one of those things like 
nobody wants to go through that stuff. So it can be used as a form of protection, I guess, for all wildlife. I mean, we, we were just talking between, between our little breakup here, we were just talking about rabbits and like talking about rabbit hunting and like that's, that's, uh, you know, we're here within, within my vehicle as we're traveling east, but like, that's one of the things that we were talking about seeing rabbits in is, you know, thickets, really thick stuff with yeah. thorns and, you know, that's where they want to be. That's where we, you know, shot the most rabbits when I was growing up in Ohio. Yeah, that's I yeah, we hunt snowshoe uh snowshoe hares here and stuff and uh that's the same thing. They're in the thickest, nastiest places and uh yeah, and a lot of times you find a lot of deer sign there too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like it's just it, it's just protection. It's just another another form of them having some sort of escape, I guess, and you know I mean the list goes on and on as far as like oddball food sources too and, and just reading that 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 staging area sign i think is really important and you know a couple other things that i can just rattle off quickly without diving into too much depth but um we uh have also noticed like honey locust pods which are i don't know how frequent those would you'd find those up in pennsylvania but they basically look like a like a dried up green bean like an oversized dried up green bean and deer just feed on those things later in the season like crazy that's one thing very oddball thing one time uh we were hunting in um in a river bottom and we found where they were eating this stuff called duck potato um or arrowhead plant which was another really unique food source that they're they were using tons of deer flock into that and it wasn't it wasn't in a super obvious area either, you know, it was like kind of tucked away. It's hard to get to tons of deer feeding on that. Um, trying to think of some other ones, but I, I, I don't know. Point is, is there's definitely oddball things out there that you wouldn't expect to see deer feeding in. But if you're observant and you're really taking the time to, uh, scout in season you're going to find them and it's going to help put the piece of the puzzle together i guess yeah and you know that's that's a goal of mine you know this year is trying to be better you know throughout the duration of the season like always kind of being in the game where you know that's Mm -hmm. where it comes to identifying those food sources and things you know outside of the rut or you know whatever else being able to to figure that stuff out and it's it's, you know, it's been something I've been trying to get better at for a few years of just like trying to learn it. It's, it's a constant, you know, learning thing. Like oh, we, yeah. we brought it up a bunch of times, but experience is your best teacher when it comes to, to that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and, and maybe to take that like a little bit, a look to, to, to drive it home a little bit more. It's like the first time, most of the time when, I or my friends or whatever, or, or even you like see this new thing that you didn't know deer were feeding on. It's this like generally overlooked food source. Like you're, you'd look at it the first time and you're like, huh, it looks like deer might be feeding on this. And then you see it again and then you see it again and then you see it again. And sometimes it takes that, that type of experience, like that directive and experience to just be like, okay, like I'm seeing this pretty consistently, you know, and, and, and that's why 
I think just really trying to take note of that and pay attention to that is, is important. <laughs> yeah. One other, one other quick thing to say too is I know that, I know that I'm saying all the, you know, we're talking about this stuff and it's still like really been driven home that like you shouldn't be doing this in season. This should be outside of season. Well, you can't scout these overlooked food sources off, out of season very well. You can maybe tell that the deer fed on something for a specific time, you know, in within the, you know, hunting season, but you're not going to be able to say, okay, they're using it right now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're going to spook some deer by doing it. But like when you find the hot spot where they're all at and like you find that type of uh, vegetation that they're feeding on, it doesn't really matter if you bump them a little bit, especially if you start to recognize it quick and you bump, maybe you bump a doe and then you're like, man, I'm starting to see some more signs. Like, seems like they might be hanging out here. It's like, <laughs> that's a good thing. You kind of, you kind of want that to happen. You know, you don't want to be not spooking any deer and just taking a guess at it. So, you know, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to try these things. And if, and if, and if you are a little afraid, go to a place that makes you not be afraid. Maybe that's a big piece of public land or something, but you know, it, don't, don't, don't just, uh, don't, don't wait back and, and think that you're hurting things. Cause you're, cause you're not. And, and don't get discouraged if you can't identify it right away. Like, like what you just said was such right. a good point. Like I, I, I rarely come up to something that's new and see like it looks like deer might be feeding and like it just clicks in my mind like oh this is it you know like you said it takes a couple times of that similar scenario i wish i was better at it but at this current state i'm not and it takes a you know a few times to kind of get me you know um my mind you know uh calibrated to it i guess but yeah Yeah. there's there's like you said there's so many different um, scenarios like that and, and everything where it's just putting the time in and kind of learning and screwing it up enough times until you get it right. It's getting those at, yeah. at bats, you know, and I, I've heard Cody Rich, who I'd, um, has the Rich Outdoors podcast for Western hunting. He's talked to me about that before with elk hunting. You know, it's when you're new to it, it's getting those at bats, getting those chances because you're going to oh, screw yeah. it up. You just got to keep doing it until until you figure it out yeah that's a that's such a i mean i i feel very very strongly that that is important as well it's just you got to get out there and try you got to fail like i like i mentioned earlier you got to like love to fail some of the the best things that i learned and some of the biggest jumps in hunting i learned were when i watched a buck just that just what in my head is a monster, you know, just running away. Because mm-hmm. all of a sudden, you get to see exactly like what he's doing, why he's there, you know, all that. So yeah, and I don't know. and and I'll, I'll always uh, when when they're running away, they're always the biggest deer too, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> Whether it is or not, I I I joked just quick story when I I shot this one buck. Uh, a few years ago and if i would have missed him i would have told you he was just an absolute tank like i'm like oh he had this big <laughs> frame on him and he wasn't he wasn't exactly what i thought I, I wasn't like unhappy or anything it's just funny that uh <laughs> it's it's uh sometimes it can be skewed <laughs> yeah <laughs> do you want do you want to hear a quick 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 
funny story that's a side story. It's starting to get dark here and I'm driving. This dude keeps flashing me behind me. I'm like, what in the hell is this guy doing? Well, somehow I bumped my auto lights off and my lights haven't been on. So it's getting pretty dark and I asked why the guy was flashing me. So I usually give people a bunch of crap for doing that, but here I am driving no, no lights on. So there's my mistake for the day. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it t- almost almost got pulled almost got pulled over when it was still daylight. Now that it's dark here, I'm driving with my or just getting you know to where it's getting pretty dang dark. I got no lights on, so that was stupid of me. But that's what yeah. happens when you podcast and drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Stay focused, folks. <laughs> so, Zach, uh, what do you have any plans this year to come come out east and doing any hunting? Well, I w- I really want to, um, yes, kind sort of. <laughs> I want to. I'm gonna hunt Ohio for sure. Um, I have bought the Ohio license hunting license the one thing that definitely threw and i have a tennessee license and my friend ben has a virginia license so like ideally we do all three of those and we're definitely going to do i guess maybe i don't know but i don't know if i'll necessarily hunt during this but i think we're definitely doing the public land challenge in pennsylvania this year is what it sounded like Mm -hmm. um not sure where we're going to do it in Pennsylvania yet, but we're going to do it there. It sounds like, um, I, the one thing that definitely threw a wrench in things is both my dad and my friend Ben drew Iowa tax this year. So <laughs> I'm going to probably just because they've spent so much money on it, I'm probably going to like be filming them quite a bit and hunting with them. Um, so that definitely slows down the plans for getting East, but like, as soon as that, as soon as that's done, like we're we're doing as much eastern stuff as possible. So there, you know, there's a chance that there's a chance that we spend more time than I'm saying. But you know, I'm thinking, I know for sure we'll do Ohio, and I would love to make it. Would love, love to make it to Virginia. That's the place that I I really want Ben to fill that Iowa tag as soon as possible, so I can go film in, in Virginia. Yeah, that would be the ideal. But you know, if I don't make it to all the, you know, all those places as much as I want to this year, no worries. I'll be back. Yeah, definitely. If, um, yeah, if you come, come through Pennsylvania, we'll have to link up sometime. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and I have a lot, like Pennsylvania is the place that I would say is, so I, in the future, just to like maybe, clarify like my mentality on is every year I want to do like a, a new state western whitetail and I want to do a new state eastern whitetail and Pennsylvania is next on my list for like you know spending a bunch of time bow hunting a spot in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. so, awesome um, definitely and and hey your 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 dad's stories there of, of shooting his biggest bucks by still hunting and calling man it's awesome because that's exactly what I was thinking I was going to do because I don't want to sit in the tree stand for seven days. I just can't do it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so I'll be, I'll be moving around, be moving around in the Pennsylvania woods before long. Oh, and you can, you can definitely do that. Like you, 
there's so many logging cuts and old timber cuts and stuff around. Like you can, you can go through and screw up 20 of them, you know, and in a few days, like it's, it's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of opportunity for trying that and and getting something to work. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I, that's kind of the elk hunting style that, you know, I, I, I learned from the guys that born and raised, and like those guys have a very aggressive style as far as like I think and I think it just translates well into my whitetail hunting style and I was just you know I, the more I think about it the more I'm just like I don't know why I'm not just doing that all the time in bigger timber settings it's just like moving to spots where you know obviously trying to stick to those food sources and bedding areas that the deer are using in that bigger timber but then like just getting super aggressive with calling and, and you know, with elk, it's, at least my experience with elk, it's just like, you're going to go through five of them in the wind, you know, especially in the mountains, you know, you can't control what the wind's doing necessarily, but all it takes is one to do the right thing. And, and what he does, it generally works pretty well. It's like, you may mess up five or six and with elk at least, and before you get a chance and then like assuming deer would probably be the same thing, but I've never really tried it. I've, I've, Man, I've literally talked about doing it in bigger timber since I was like 19, 19 years old. I remember I was thinking about, man, that would be really fun to do. And I just have never like dedicated a lot of time to it. So it's in the near future. Yeah. And, and you can, and the thing is, you know, I mentioned doing it in the rut, but it can work like even outside of it too. Uh, I, my dad killed one a few years ago doing that on the opening day. So it was beginning of October going through uh again an old logging cut and just out of curiosity um he just i think he broke a branch or maybe he yeah he broke a branch and then grunted after to kind of cover up his sound and had a buck come in and it was like opening day because it's just like you know who's in my bedroom type of deal and uh you know came in so that that and that's just like a fun way of doing it it's like like elk hunting like you said you're always moving, always seeing new country and, and yeah, that can be, that can be really, really good. Yeah. And you know, I'll, I'll definitely do some setup stuff too, but you know, that's, that's, you know, my style is just, I would describe it as impatient. So (laughs) I think it caters to that pretty well. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, Zach, I think uh, I think we're gonna close this one out. I think we could talk deer hunting your whole trip back, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So I yeah I I need to go to bed here shortly. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can I can understand. I'm still I'm still riding that mountain time out. So I understand, man. And I, and I agree. I think. I think the conversation could go on and on, so we'll have to do it again sometime. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you, you having me on. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I, I really had fun with this one and, and just having a conversation about this stuff. And, and uh, yeah, that was really great. So thanks for you know taking the time on your drive here to, to chat uh, deer hunting and thank anybody else that's in the vehicle for you know having to, to listen to you uh, during this time. <laughs> Yeah, well, do. do. <laughs> so, Zach, where can um, people find any information on you and some of the videos, the hunting public, uh, so that they can check that out? Uh, the main platforms, YouTube. I mean, we got 
lot of videos on YouTube. <laughs> Spend quite a bit of time catching up with those. Um, Amazon Prime is another one that we're on. Uh, Facebook and Instagram. And these, these are all under just the hunting public. If you just search the hunting public, it should, it should pop up. And then, uh, I guess, uh, what else is there? We have our own podcast as well. Um, I would say you'd probably get a pretty similar experience to this podcast. Um, I try to just talk with, you know, other, other hunters that, you know, hunt different regions of the country, try to cover as many regions and, you know, as many states as possible. Um, and you can find that on a major podcast platform as well. And then I guess we all just, I would say as far as like personal social media stuff, like everybody in the hunting public does Instagram the most, I would say. And you can just find us if you just search all our names. Uh, I'm pretty sure everybody's just got their name on there and that's pretty much it. But yeah, that's, the main places you can find us and you know appreciate anybody that watches and supports us yeah cool well thanks zach and anyone listening i hope that they uh go check it out if you haven't already which um like i said i'm sure most of you have heard of it and watched some of the videos but definitely check that out so um yeah i'm looking forward to talking again soon and and hopefully you know meet you in person again here sometime sooner than later yeah, man. Yeah, I agree. Sounds good to me. All right. We'll see you, Zach. All right. See you, dude. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.